Good morning. What a prayer. Oh, goodness, that we would have grace. God would give us grace to trust him more. Uh, what a posture for us as a people to embrace. Amen. Thank you guys for leading us in worship. Let's pray together as we continue worshiping the Lord through the preaching, hearing, and receiving of his word. Father, it is a joy to gather with your people today, to fellowship with each other, and more importantly, with you through the access you've given to us by your Son and your Spirit, your Word. Father, we rejoice in the provision to meet with you today as we meet with each other and be reminded of these truths, to be encouraged by them, edified and built up in them for your glory. And Father, now as we turn to worshiping you through the preaching, the hearing and receiving of your word, it's my prayer that your Holy Spirit would come and he would help us. He would do his illuminating work in us to open our hearts, our minds, our spirits to the reality of who you are revealing yourself to be through your word and through your son and who you are calling us to be as your people in light of his image so that we can glorify you in greater ways. And that's our desire. And Father, in this moment of preaching, I want to glorify you. And so I ask that you would increase and I would decrease. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Over the last few weeks, we've been thinking about this new season of ministry that God has provided for us as a church. We have a rich history, but there's a, a unique opportunity that exists right now in transition of leadership to consider where God would have us go. And it's a collective desire that we've expressed from Acts 2 that that we want to see God do something in and through us similar to what he did in the early church. All of us, I think, believe and desire that we would be the kind of church that would allow God to, to bring awe upon the people who step inside this building, who gather with us and worship. We want to be the kind of people who love each other sacrificially and care for each other sacrificially in the way the early church did as we see in Acts 2, 42 to 47. We want to be the kind of fellowship that does life together and breaks bread together and, and lives day by day for the glory of God. And certainly, we want to be the kind of people that God uses to bring people to faith in Christ and that he, day by day, would add to our number for his glory. That's our desire. And we've also been asking the question, what did the early church devote themselves to, to bring about that kind of blessing, to bring about that kind of fruit in their life? How did the Spirit work his way out amongst this, this people such that it brought about the blessing of God? And we've noticed in Acts 2.42 that the church devoted themselves to four things. That their devotion to the Lord led to four practices, four expressions in their life of devotion to God. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, believing that the word of God is a gift that forms them for the glory of God. They devoted themselves to the fellowship because they believed they were called together to do this work in community. They were called together, and everybody's going to say amen, to breaking bread, amen. table fellowship, even our meals redeemed for the kingdom purposes that God has given to us in Christ. And finally, not least, we see the early church was devoted to prayer. Their devotion to God 
led them to be devoted to prayer. And friends, if we want to see God continue to work in and through us as he did the early church and in other churches throughout the history of the church, we must be a people of prayer. Prayer has always been an important gift for God's people and a practice of God's people. And just think for a minute about what the gift of prayer represents to us. It lets us know by the fact that it is part of God's design of this world and how he interacts with us as his redeemed and called out people that God wants to commune with us. Not just communicate, commune to fellowship with us. The God of the universe desires to live in relationship with his redeemed people. Isn't that incredible? Astonishing to me that he would send his son to rescue us and that he would form us unto himself and that he, in that forming and in that setting apart, listens to us and is concerned about our state, interested in our situation. He wants to meet with us and bless us. What an incredible God that we serve. And he knows that we need him. He created us in such a way that we need him. And prayer is one of the ways that we give expression to that need and have that need met through the ongoing work of the presence of God. And as a result of that, we celebrate with the psalmist who in Psalm 116, 1 through 2 said, I love the Lord because he has heard. Aren't you thankful for a God who hears? My voice and my pleas for mercy because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. What are we, God, that you would incline your ear to us? And yet the promise is that he does. May we never take that gift for granted. It's my prayer that every one of you in this room would recognize the gift of prayer in your life and that daily, unceasingly, you would cry out to the Lord and seek to express your love and affection for him and call upon him in moments of of distress. I hope that all of us who are in Christ recognize the gift of prayer for our individual lives. And it's not my goal this morning to convince you of that. I hope that you know that, and I I hope that you see the Bible teaches that. I'm more concerned today with corporate prayer, that not only have we been called to pray as individuals before the Lord, but we as a people, Bayleaf Baptist Church, all God's people, have been called to pray together. The early church did not just commit themselves to praying on their own. They committed themselves to gather and pray, and we as God's people today must pray together. This has been a practice of the people of God throughout their history. We see several examples in the Old Testament of the people of God gathering for prayer. In the book of Exodus, as Israel becomes overwhelmed by the oppression of Egyptian bondage, what did they do? They cry out in unison as a people for God to deliver them. Even though they didn't fully know him yet, they're asking him, come and rescue us. And he does. Exodus 2. And leads them to the land 
of promise. In the law given to God's people, all the Israelite men were to appear before the Lord three times every year for holy convocations to give themselves to worship, reflection, and yes, to prayer, according to Leviticus 23. When the temple of God was built and finished and dedicated to the Lord, Solomon leads the whole nation of Israel in prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8. The Psalms, which are declarations of worship, are filled with the prayers of the people of God that they would practice when they would pray together. And often they would use corporate language, not saying I, not saying me, but saying we and us. As a people, we are declaring these things to you, O God. I could go on and on. But God's people have always been a people of prayer. And this continues in the New Testament. Listen, a lot of things change for the people of God from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In fact, what it means to be part of the people of God changes in the New Testament. No longer because of your birthright or ethnicity, but because of a common faith and a common spirit through the work of Jesus Christ. That's what makes us a part of this people. That's a big change from Old Covenant to New Covenant. A lot of things change. But do you know one thing that never changes? The people of God in the New Testament... They're committed to prayer. They pray together. This new people formed in light of the work of Jesus are still devoting themselves to the prayers, as Luke writes it in Acts 2.42. Meaning, they probably continued to pray many of the prayers of their Jewish heritage. Written out prayers that were given and and sent throughout generations to declare corporately not only the, the love of God in this people, but for all of God's people. And they also prayed the prayers that Jesus gave to them. He gave them a pretty famous one in Matthew 6, 9 to 13. And can't you just hear the early church praying to God, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from all evil. And some add, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. A prayer we even pray today. And these established prayers, as they devoted themselves to them, acted and served as guides to allow them, as they were moved by the Spirit in their own lives and their corporate worship, to give expression to their own prayers and their own circumstances according to the will of God. And we, we get to overhear one of these new prayers in Acts chapter 4, just a couple of chapters later. Verses 23 to 31. A prayer I want us to look at today. Because I think it's a, a pretty incredible prayer. Not only because of the content of it, but because of how this corporate prayer, I think, helps us and reinforces in us a commitment and devotion to corporate prayer. The corporate prayer reveals to us, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, why corporate prayer must be a continued practice for the church of God. So I want us to look at it today in the hopes that God would use it to stir in our hearts a greater devotion and commitment to praying together. Before we read it, let me give you a little background. Moving from Acts 2 to Acts 4. In Acts 3, Peter and John are arrested, apostles of Jesus Christ. So just because the Holy Spirit comes 
just because Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and just because they're being faithful, they're still encountering, in spite of that, they're still encountering some opposition from leaders, Jewish leaders of the day, and even some secular leaders. And in this particular case, Peter and John were arrested because they had healed a man who was lame from birth in Acts 3 at the gate called Beautiful. It's a pretty remarkable story because this man had been begging his whole life, relying upon the charity of others to meet his daily needs. And the Bible seems to suggest that there's this tragic situation as people are walking back and forth in front of him and they continue to divert their eyes from him because you never want to make eye contact with somebody that you're not going to help. But in an incredible moment, Peter and John lock eyes with this crippled man and he thinks, okay, yeah, I got my meal ticket. But Peter disappoints and then stuns because he says, listen, I don't have any silver and gold. Wah, wah. But what I do have, I give you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And you know what he does? He gets up and walks. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. But it didn't happen every day. And people take notice. And they begin to gather around Peter and John. Who are these guys? That This guy who's been lame our whole lives is suddenly walking. There must be some power. And then Peter and John say, no, it's not us. We didn't do this. Jesus did this. And they divert their attention to Jesus. And so the, the leaders of the Jewish people in chapter 4, verse 1, the priests and the captain of the temple, the Sadducees, they begin to hear this Jesus name coming up again. And the Bible says they're greatly annoyed. And they got power. And so they use their power to satisfy their annoyance and they arrest these men. And they question them. And they charge them. Don't go talking about Jesus anymore. As if they could. And then they're released. And what's interesting is, as soon as they are released, Peter and John go back to their family of faith. They go back to their friends and they pray. And listen, friends, to what they pray. Beginning in verse 24, as they heard the testimony of John and Peter, they pray these words. They lift their voices together to God and say, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. For in this city, truly, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed in the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's a pretty powerful prayer, isn't it? That leads to a power, dis powerful display of God's approval over this people. And there are many things that this prayer could teach us about prayer generally. But I want us to think about what this prayer teaches us about prayer corporately. How does this corporate prayer 
teach us and reinforce the continued need for corporate prayer today. Three reasons I think we should be remit, we should be continually devoted to corporate prayer from the testimony of Acts 4 and the early church. Number one, reason one, corporate prayer is important, as we see in this passage, because of how corporate prayer collectively reminds us of the sovereignty of God. Of how praying together allows us the opportunity to remind each other that God is in control. Look at the language that the early church uses to address God. In verse 24, what do they call him? Sovereign Lord. Now listen, there are a lot of attributes they could have used right there. There are a lot of characteristics of God that he's revealed to us. They could have called him merciful Lord. They could have called him gracious Lord, holy Lord. But in this moment, because of what they're walking through, and because of what Peter and John have just experienced, there's a need for them collectively to acknowledge that God is sovereign, that he is in control because they don't understand everything. They don't, they don't know why this is still happening. In fact, my guess is in their own wisdom, they would think that because Jesus is alive and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father and the Holy Spirit was, is within us, that things should be going easier. That things should be better. So why is it that Peter and John are experiencing this? We just don't get it fully yet, and yet we know what you've called us to. And it brings to mind an experience that the early church had not far removed from this moment. Another moment when they didn't fully understand. When Jesus was crucified. When he was put to death. When he allowed himself to be taken by earthly authorities. And you know those three days between his death and his resurrection had to be confusing for the people of God, for the disciples that have been walking with Jesus. For three years, has everything that we've been doing these past three years been in vain? Have, have the enemies of Jesus and the kingdom of God won? Even though Jesus had told them this was part of the plan of God, they did not fully understand. And you know that was a deep, dark, sobering moment for the people of God. But out of that darkness came a glorious light of revelation when Jesus Christ came back to life. And everything that they thought they lost suddenly was gained. And their hope and trust in God was further strengthened as all the things that Jesus said suddenly made sense. And then later in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes and illuminates them, and they begin to see the plan of God unfold and how the, the death of Jesus was essential to the plan of God. And now because of his death, they were freed from their own future of death. And so God redeemed that dark moment, and it strengthened their trust in him. And certainly he could be doing that now. That this is a dark moment that we know there's going to be difficulty, we know there's going to be suffering, and we don't understand it all. We don't know why this is happening to us, but we know that God is in control. Listen, every time we pray as a people, every time we, we call and think about the sovereignty of God, it presents us with the opportunity to answer a question collectively. Will we trust God even when we don't fully see? 
And there are going to be moments in your individual life when you experience the brokenness of this world or you experience resistance from earthly powers that do not want the power of God to move forth. You're going you're to experience difficulty and you need to come into a people that are declaring that God is in control. You need to be reminded that there's nothing in your life that's not father-filtered, but everything is working for his glory and your good. Will we trust when we don't fully see? Corporate prayer is a declaration of our continued trust in God. Because we know that out of our darkest moments can come the greatest glory for him. Reason number two. Corporate prayer is important because it reminds us of our need for the power of God. It calls us to trust in the sovereignty of God. It's a moment for us to come back together and say we're going to trust when we don't understand. And it's also an opportunity for us to humble ourselves before God and say, we need you to show up and do what only you can do. Corporate prayer is an expression of need, of our collective need as the people of God. Because we cannot do what God has called us to do as a church unless God does it through us. Only his power, only his power can build this kingdom. Again, verse 24, the people cry out to God, Sovereign Lord, who made? You are our sovereign creator, and you made the heavens, earth, the sea, everything in them. It's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? That God created these things? That there was nothing and then there was something because God just spoke it? That's pretty powerful. And listen, the earth and the sea, they're powerful things. Have you ever experienced an earthquake? Have you ever seen the devastation of an earthquake? Have you ever been in the the ocean or the sea and there's a rip current and it starts pulling you and no matter how hard you swim, you can't get out of it? We have family right now that's about to experience some of the devastation of a broken and sinful world as a hurricane is approaching Louisiana. Category 5. Wind, water about to display their devastating power. But do you know what's more powerful than any of those things? The God who created them. That's powerful. We're going to see the destructive power of that hurricane. But there's someone greater than any of those things, and his name is God. And here's the incredible thing. He has given us as his people access to this power, and we need it. We need his power. The early church knew they needed it because they weren't doing a natural work. They were doing a supernatural work, and they needed supernatural power to do this supernatural work. I've always been struck by this prayer because it's kind of odd to me that they would come back, Peter and John would come back to the church and pray for boldness. Because they were pretty bold. Right? In Acts 4, this declaration from Peter is pretty stunning. I mean, these you can look at verse 5, that the rulers, the elders, the scribes, Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander... Part of their high priestly family, they gather Peter and John and they begin to inquire of them, verse 7, by what power or what, by what name did you do this? Now remember, these are the very people, the very group of people 
who advocated for the crucifixion of Jesus. So they could do the same thing for Peter because he's about to blaspheme according to them, even though he's speaking the truth. And how does Peter respond? This is verse 8. Peter, this is important, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, people with earthly power. If we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means he has been healed, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, by the way, and who God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. And another thing, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, but he has now become the cornerstone. And listen to this, there is salvation and no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. That's pretty good. And then listen to how they respond. Verse 13. When they saw the what? The boldness. These are uneducated men, and yet they're speaking boldly about the work of God. They challenge them, hey, don't speak anymore, but they can't. And then they're released. Isn't it interesting that we're, we're seeing boldness from Peter? The people who are there witness boldness, and yet they go back and pray for boldness. Why? Because this boldness is not natural. It's supernatural. Peter, in his own strength, would not do this. How do you know, Jared? Because I can read John 18. And I know that when Jesus was arrested, Peter denied him for fear. That he would be crucified right along with Jesus. He didn't deny him to these people. He denied them to another disciple and a servant girl. And yet, the very same people who put Jesus to death, suddenly when he's filled by the Spirit of God, he's not afraid anymore. He can't help but speak what God has done in Jesus. Because the power of God is at work within him. Listen, friends, we will face resistance. We will face challenges. And for us to remain vigilant, we need the power of God. Corporate prayer is a declaration of dependence where we come together and we say, God, we cannot do this on our own. And we don't want to be a part of anything. That is in our own strength. We need you. And finally, number three. Corporate prayer is important because it forces us to stand as a people on the promises of God. It forces us to remember and pray the promises of God. The church in Acts chapter 4. And us today, as the church, we must always pray within the revealed will of God. Let me say that again. We must pray within the revealed will of God. Listen, the early church here is not asking God to act in a new way. They're just praying in accordance with how he has already acted. God, we need your power. And we know that you have this power because you created everything. Verse 24. We know that you know how to help us because you are sovereign and you promised us you would send us a helper. And you did that in Acts 2. 
And we know that you're not surprised by this persecution, this difficulty, because many years ago, you led David to write Psalm 2, 1 through 2, that they're quoting here in Acts 4. Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the, the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against the anointed. So long as sin exists in this world, as long as a, a, a kingdom of this world exists against the heavenly kingdom that Jesus came to establish, earthly powers will rebel against heavenly ones. So you know this and you prepared us for this, yet you also gave us a task that we want to be faithful to, and so we need you. They're just praying according to the revealed word of, word of God and the revealed will of God. And this is important for us to remember as a people because prayer is not a magic spell. We don't gather together in the hopes that when we agree on something, we can force God to act in the way that we want. Because, friends, who's God in that scenario? We are. That's not the God we want to serve. We aren't constraining God to our will in prayer. Rather, we are seeking to, be, to come in alignment with his will. We want to be constrained by him for his glory and our good. And the only thing that we as a people can claim with certainty in prayer is what he has promised. And here's the good news. He's promised a whole lot. So many promises in God's word that we can claim. That we can pray knowing that God will be faithful to them in his own timing. Again, for his glory and our good. When we pray and we pray God's word, we are interacting with what God has already said. And we are just asking him to be faithful as he promised. And that's good for us to do as a people. To, to help each other remember what's appropriate to pray and what's not appropriate to pray. Because listen, I've... I've been able to counsel a lot of people throughout the years who have become embittered because they've been praying and God hasn't been answering their prayers in the way that they want and the time that they want. And I have to remind them again, did God promise that? Sure, I've been praying for this Lamborghini to show up in my, my driveway. God never promised you that. But yet we got people all around us telling us that God promised you health and wealth. He didn't promise you that. He promised you faithfulness. He promised you his presence. He promised you a future that will be free from the brokenness of sin in this world. He promised he would be a power to sustain you. But let's not get caught up in things he didn't promise. Let's, let's embrace the things that he did and, and rest in his sovereignty that in the exact right time and the exact right way, he will use his power to fulfill his promises because he is a good and faithful God. Amen. And listen, corporate prayer is a, a moment of discipleship where we remind each other of what is and what is not appropriate to pray. Don't be surprised if you pray for something that God hasn't promised and it does not happen. Let's pray for what he has promised. So corporate prayer, friends, I hope you see is important. That our devotion to God should lead us to a devotion to praying together because it reminds us of the sovereignty of God, that he is in control. It situates us in humility before the Lord as we depend upon his power. And as it forces us to consider what we are praying, making sure they are in alignment with what God has promised. 
we must pray together. I'm so grateful that we do. And I want to celebrate that, but also challenge us to grow in our commitment to corporate prayer. Now, let me, let me just say for a moment what we already do, that I'm grateful for. We certainly pray in worship together. We've already done that today. We pray over one another. Sometimes we have moments of intercessory prayer like we did last week over our friends in Afghanistan, our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. We pray before I preach because I want us to remember that in this moment, there's something supernatural happening and that I can't do what God's called me to do and you can't do what God's called you to do without the help of the Spirit. And we sing in... We pray when we sing, right? I mean, our songs are basically prayers to God. And there's a benefit, obviously, for us as we corporately sing those things. But we know that it pleases our God to have his children sing of him and declare these truths and our affection for him in song. The songs that we sing are for him. So there's this kind of prayer element to even our worship in singing. So we already do a lot of prayer in our corporate time, but I think we need more. Because I want people to know that we are committed to praying. That when they show up at Bayleaf Baptist Church, they see a people who love and delight in prayer. Because they love and delight in the God that prayer connects them to. So I want us to think about how we can make room for more prayer in our worship services. And I want you to to desire it. To advocate for it. And when we get to those prayer moments, don't just dismiss them. As something that you got to get through. Engage with them. Because of who we are engaging with. In prayer. In the ministry of our church. We have a small but faithful group that meets every Wednesday night. To pray for this body. And they would love to have more join them. Let, let us know if you want to join that. We'll get you the information. They also put together a prayer bulletin that's sent out to the entire church that we collectively throughout the week and as we gather can pray for one another. We even have a, a closed Facebook group that you can join. Again, just ask us. We'll get you the information. Where people put up to minute detailed prayer requests so that we can pray for one another. But we need more of that. We need more of that work as we ask God and we intercede on behalf of this body. For God to show up and do an Acts 2 kind of work in our life. And listen, over the next years, as we worship and as we serve together, there are going to be moments where I ask, and where our pastoral staff and our deacons and our leadership, we ask you as a church to join us in concentrated times of prayer for specific things. We may ask you to come on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night and just to get on our knees and ask God for wisdom about a decision that we have to make or protection or, or whatever it is that God is leading us to. And I just want you to commit with your family and in your heart before the Lord right now, if you can do that, to say yes. That, yes. That when you hear the call to come and pray, that you will make it a priority. And there may be seasons where we need extended periods of prayer. I'm thinking as as we get closer to the, to the development and the work over on that Creedmoor Road property, that we want God to do a special work continuing here, but also there, I think we probably need to do some building in prayer. And we may call for a period of a fasting and prayer. And I want you to say, yes, 
Jerry, I don't know how to do that. We're going to help you, okay? We're going to help you get there. But when we ask you to give up a day of food to also pray, would you say yes? Because we know that there's power in prayer because there's power in God. And we want God to do something that only he can do through us. Will we grow in our commitment to prayer, in our small groups, when we cherish the prayer time and not just put our requests there, but our, our whole church's request, when we sit before the Lord and ask him to move as only he can move because, friends, we are doing a spiritual, supernatural work and we need spiritual, supernatural power. Let us be a people of prayer. And let's do some of that right now. Would you bow your heads? And let me just say that our devotion to prayer is only going to be birthed out of a devotion to God. And your desire to relate to God can only be fulfilled through Jesus. So if you don't have that relationship with God established and and fixed through Christ... Prayer is not going to be a blessing to you. But I want you to know that if you give your life to Jesus, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you will repent and believe in him, give your life to him, he will restore you to the God who created you and who wants to commune with you. Have you ever come to the place where you believe there is salvation in no one else? For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you haven't done that, we would love to speak with you more about Jesus today. For the rest of us, though, who are in Christ and have the opportunity to commune with a holy and righteous God, how are we doing with prayer? Is our devotion to God showing up in a devotion to prayer? And not just individually. Friends, if, if people were to look at our church, would they see that we are a people devoted to prayer? I hope they would, that recognition would grow as we grow more and more in our commitment to prayer. And right now, would you pray for this church? Would you pray that God would continue to use Bayleaf Baptist Church to minister to this area, North Raleigh, North Carolina, the United States, and to the ends of the earth? Would you pray that he would birth within us an uncommon devotion to him shown in the way that we love his word, this fellowship, table fellowship, and prayer? Would you pray for the pastors and the leadership of this church that we would continue to be humble and lead in faith for the glory of God. Father, we want to be a people of prayer. We want to be devoted to it because of our devotion to you and the promise that it represents to us. Help us, Father, Communicate our trust in your sovereign care in corporate prayer. Help us communicate our need for your power in corporate prayer. Help us 
to declare our knowledge of your promises as our Father. And your commitment to being faithful to those things in prayer. And Father, may you shake the walls of this room and pour out your Spirit upon us for the work you've called us to. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads.